Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Landlord and Tenant Podmess, the only podcast that has the balls to ask the question, can a landlord and tenant be buddies? Hi, everybody. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Bill Clinton. Um, okay. Um, interesting. And I'm your other co-host. I'm uh, Tenant Michael, of course. Um, I'll, sure, I'll, I'll play along. Um, Mr. Clinton, uh, President, uh, did did you in, did you smoke marijuana that time? I not only smoke marijuana, but uh, I did it while getting a blowjob. Okay, that I'm, a confession. It's me. It's James, Landlord James. I'm doing characters now. Yeah, and so that, I ladies did my and gentlemen, bill. that, ladies and gentlemen, is why James never. Uh, I never let him off the leash uh, comedically. Yeah. yeah. It's so true, and Mike, that is true. If I ever, you know, did my own podcast, it would basically be the kind of podcast that was probably illegal in 85 countries in the world, because God knows what I'd say. So, Mike, in a way, thank God Mike is here, because he does keep me uh, leashed Mm -hmm. in, uh, because otherwise I'm like a dog, uh, you know, chasing (laughs) other dogs and probably... Down boy! Down boy, please! Down boy, yeah, and... uh, I'm one. I'm one of those dogs doing it with all the other dogs it sees on the street because I didn't get neutered. <laughs> Disgusting. Which is quite true. The modern male, the modern Canadian male, is basically neutered, and I'm practically the only goddamn guy out there I see who isn't. I'm. I am like an unneutered dog. Really? Well, In what yeah. way? What way? I'm willing to say what I feel. I'm willing to. Oh, okay. I see. You I know see. what I mean? Like not yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. I don't think now it makes sense. To me. Yeah, yes. there's a bunch of castratos out there. My God. Well, although I don't agree with the content of your Bill Clinton impersonation, I am very impressed by how accurate it is. You do a, and I, I don't think I've ever complimented you like this before, you do a beautiful Bill! Thank you, thank you. Well, <clears throat> you know, um, I'm, I'm angling for an SNL audition. I think that would be the, the uh, impression I'd do if I ever got one, because... <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty handy to have right now. And mine's Hello, very good. Hello, my name is James so. Hartnett, and uh, mm-hmm. my here's my first impression. It is former President Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman, but I am pretty darn horny. Did you see um, <laughs> during the day of the inauguration, there was a little a video with uh, Obama, George W. Bush, and... Uh, Bill Clinton all wishing Joe Biden a good Sounds like the years. Avengers. It's like the Avengers. Assemble. So, uh, sorry, but they all wish Joe Biden good luck? They all wished him good luck. Um, it was a beautiful show of bipartisan uh, harmony. And uh, Bill Clinton didn't look necessarily the healthiest he's ever looked. <laughs> you know, I got to say, Bill does have a bit of a red nose thing going on. Did you notice that? He, but like, um, okay, I'll, I'll, he, but he doesn't look like Rudolph. He looks more like, uh, a man battling some sort of illness. W.C. Fields? Yes. Maybe it's an altitude thing from all his trips up on Epstein's plane, you know? It could have been like blood vessels bursting or something. Maybe he's, his body has acclimatized permanently to being in the air, uh, <laughs> in that plane. Yeah. That Maybe. is a real thing because yeah. it's a different atmospheric pressure up there. 
and different gravity up there because you're farther away yeah. from the Earth. So yeah. he might be like one of those astronauts that spend six months in the space station and then they come home and their bone density is much less because they've been in yes. zero G. That's probably yeah. what's going on with Bill because he was so used to flying at 30,000 feet on Epstein's plane. I Speaking of astronauts having bone density problems when they return to mm. earth that just mm-hmm. now this is a silly idea but please let me just experiment here i'd love to you know go to chris hadfield commander hadfield and say sir come here and just poke into his rib cage and i wonder if i could just leave a big uh, like indentation because his bones are so uh, rubbery and thin now Oh, that's, well, we're trying to get him on the pod. Mm -hmm. That's been up to you. I've been leaving that up to you to try to get him on the pod. But it would, once COVID's over, it'd be great if we could have him over to your apartment. Excuse me, I burped. And try that and give him a poke. Because he he seems like a laugh. He seems like a laugh. He's got a guitar, which which is always great when you're having people over. Um, But yeah, he must have spent so much time up in space that I imagine if you grabbed hold of his skull, you could just sort of knead it and press into it like it's a big ball of play-doh or something imagine that that's neat i i've often thought that about joe biden too i know he's not in space but he looks like if you pressed your thumb against his forehead it would just sort of crack through like a (laughs) easter egg yeah he doesn't look like he has a very solid skull no you know poor old joe solid skull wasn't that the character in metal gear solid skull no i'm joking (laughs) No, of course, you know, Solid Snake. Of course, I know that. Play, people who played Metal Gear Solid will, will recognize this. Snake! Snake! When, a, when you're talking to a, a guy in your, on your sort of radio and when you die, he yells that. Oh, that's right. I mean, yeah. Metal Gear heads are going to know that. Mm-hmm. Are going are gonna to know that reference. So. Most sorry, of our audience sorry. are Metal Gear heads, so they're they're... Probably just laughing and dancing listening to, to this portion of the intro. Yes. Solid Snake, Raiden, uh, uh, created by the legendary Hideo Kojima. Lots of video game talk in this episode, I'm going to say. So if you're a, if you're a gamer, if, you're, if you uh, worship at the altar of the joystick, you're in for <laughs> a, a wonderful time. Now, here's what I laugh at, that the people who say gamer is a modern term. Let me have news for you. Even cavemen played games. Sure, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Dark Souls or Sekiro. But guess what? They played their own games. Gaming is a part of human history. Imagine if you could go back, like, build a time machine, go back to the, I don't know, the Bronze Age, and bring a caveman to 2021 and sit him down in front of a big TV and let him play uh, Call of Duty. Okay, here's my David Spade impression. Yeah, that that was a great idea. When it was called Encino Man. Okay. Remember he used to make quips in that kind of cadence on, on Saturday Night Live. Yes. But yes, I'd love to bring a caveman to present day. I, I would, it would be amazing to see his primitive brain trying to come to grips with um, our modern technology. He'd probably have no idea what's going on. And maybe he'd, think we're gods. He'd probably think we're gods. And he'd probably, after like two minutes of playing Call of Duty, he'd probably just shit on the rug. Because he'd be so, mm-hmm. like, just um, too much sensory overload, right? So you'd have, there you'd be yeah. in your living room. And you'd, you'd, you'd be like, oh, great. Now I have a caveman on the rug. He crapped himself. 
maybe I should have uh, thought thought this whole thing over more. Oh, well said. Really well said. Cave, there, there aren't as many cavemen in popular culture as there used to be. I think the Geico ads maybe kind of killed it. But I think that's yeah. a shame because cavemen are fun. They're funny. They're sexy. Um, you know, you never see a porno with a caveman or cave women anymore. You used to, you used to all the time. It's true. Um, you never see that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, well, clearly cavemen and cave women had sex drives or they wouldn't have made babies. I wonder what they fantasized about or. I don't know. A big side of saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> you know? But would they get, like, I don't know, freaky? Like, let's pretend uh, we're at the caveman <laughs> key party. I don't know. Probably not. Did cavemen- Were they monogamous, monogamous, I wonder, caveman people? Right. I wonder. I were, they, were they the original swingers? <laughs> Caveman. You know, I read in this book, Sapiens, that, you know, they're, they're human being, like, uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthals mm-hmm. definitely overlapped. And he speculated that maybe we killed them off. But you wonder, and, and there is Neanderthal DNA in our DNA. So I guess there was some hooking up between Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, I guess. Interesting. Um. I wonder, it'll be funny. That's, if, a, that's someone you're a little worried to bring home to dad. Uh, um, dad, meet my new boyfriend. Oh, God. What's, you know, what? He's a Neanderthal? Great. Yeah. You know, you raise a very uh, interesting idea. I would love for us both to get a DNA test and find out once and for all which one of us has more uh, Neanderthal uh, DNA in us. You know what's funny? I actually got for Christmas a. Uh, DNA test for real. And I sort of thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun or cool if like something really unexpected was in there? And it turns out I'm actually, you know, I don't know. There's some ethnicity in my background that I would have never expected. And it's kind of cool and different. And then it was like 90 (laughs) percent like the British Isles and like 10 percent Northern Europe, which apparently everybody has. That's too bad because it would have been an amazing scoop for us like this week a very special episode of the show where james reveals he's seven percent polish (laughs) and then you you would start really digging in to your polish roots and dressing in polish you know traditional polish clothing eating polish foods learning the language yeah that's a great idea getting very into the warsaw soccer team and yeah, engaging in violent soccer hooliganism and having extreme uh, views on uh, abortion. <laughs> you could do all those Polish things. Yeah. Um, you know, before we move on, I want to give a shout out here. I got an email on my Gmail just before we recorded, and Uh-oh, yes, I used that's Gmail. That's never get the a hell good sign. It. Yeah, yeah. When you get a ding dong in your Gmail email, you know yeah. it's not yeah. good. Yes. Um. But I am a member of the Tim Hortons Rewards Program. So again, no True big deal. Yeah, uh, Tim Hortons, if you're American, you probably know what it is. It's a coffee and donut place here in Canada that's more than just a restaurant. It's sort of an institution. It's a way of life. And I got an email uh, announcing that they are welcoming a new head chef, <laughs> Chef Talis Vokes, their new culinary lead, and they're welcoming him, welcoming him to the Tim Hortons family. He was trained at Le Cordon Bleu in Ottawa. 
So you don't get much credential. bigger than that in the world of food, right? We're talking Cordon Bleu, Ottawa. Yeah, like, if you get a cook from fucking Ottawa, yeah, <laughs> this is some serious shit. So we're in for um, some new, not necessarily uh, familiar flavors at Timmy's. Absolutely. And it says he brings his creative vision with a commitment to quality, flavor, and freshness. And here's the truth. I went into Tim Hortons today, and it looks like their Egg McMuffin things are, are look a little different. And I, I know that's Talus, because that's an Ottawa egg move, yeah. if I've ever seen one. You've been and, Taloused. Uh, yeah. And we want to give a shout out to Ben Stagger, because he's Mr. Tim Hortons. And Mike and I were messaged back and forth with him before the podcast. So if you yeah. want to know more about this Tim Hortons story, we're going to do him a solid and say, you know, check him out on social media, because he's going to have that covered. But we yeah. just wanted to mention it, too, because it's big news. Ben Stagger, obviously, is a former guest on this show. Uh, he has a podcast called The Tim's Talk Line. And <laughs> uh, I believe on his most recent episode... He addresses the the Talus Vokes elephant in the room, and uh, so yeah, we'll we'll put a link to uh, to Ben's Twitter and his podcast uh, in the show notes. And I'll just say it though: if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's Ben Stagger S T A G E R. Wow, you're really being nice to Ben right now. Yeah, links and everything. Jeez, this is this is important. Well, anyway, Mike, um, how uh, has your week been? Oh, James, now you know I like to to keep things, you know, upbeat, optimistic, and sunny. Those are my three rules for podcasting, right? But mm-hmm. um, this week I just can't hide anymore. I'm pissed off to, to hell so mad. I'm so mad I could just punch a, a fucking um, a puppy. Yes, a puppy. Whoa, that's probably the most disturbing thing you've ever said on this podcast. Listeners, have I gone psycho? Well, maybe temporarily, but I have a very good reason for feeling so mad. If you know uh, the entertainment industry, you'll know that this week the Golden Globe Awards were, the the nominees were announced for, you know, film and television. It's a big, big deal. Well, here in Canada, we have a sort of similar, although admittedly not as big, awards ceremony. Of course, I'm talking about the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Awards which celebrates excellence in the field of, of podcasting, which is something that, um, James, you and I know a thing or two about. That's right. And these awards are special because they're about, they honor Canadian, they honor podcasting with a Canadian twist. Absolutely. Because they're only for Canadian podcasts. Now, I like to think we do a good job here, and we have been doing a good job for the past four and a half years we've been doing this show. We put blood, sweat, and tears, and sometime other, uh, sometimes other liquids into, the, into this show, uh, to deliver a quality product week after week, month after month, year after year. And yet, once again, the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Awards have entirely snubbed this show and we didn't receive a single goddamn nomination. And I could just, like I said, punch a puppy and a kitten. Oh, no, it's goddamn, it's absolutely outrageous. You know, we don't get recognized by the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe fucking awards. And it's yeah. pissing me off. We're clearly one of the premier podcasts in Canada, yeah. and we never get acknowledged by these idiots. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. Like, and, and you know, you know how much it would mean to Mike and I if to hold the actual trophy of the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Awards. Like, yeah, Mike, I just, would... do, do people even know what this trophy looks like? It's really impressive. 
Well, if you're if you've been living under a damn rock, uh, I guess I'll explain how the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Award looks. Basically, it's um it has the figure of it's made out of uh of metal. It's the figure of a moose, you know, uh, talking into a mic, and he's talking. He's got headphones on, and then beside him, in uh, in bronze, is a beaver who's sitting behind a mixing a mixing desk, and he's the producer of the uh the podcast but but the award doesn't end there does it james no so yeah it's there's there's a moose talking into a mic you got a beaver producer like really funny canadian things yeah there's also on the trophy uh um a listener of the podcast which is a hockey player drinking a cup of tim hortons and listening to the to the tragically hip so you can imagine this trophy just really captures a lot of Canadiana, and yeah. it's, it's absolute bullshit we didn't get a chance to win it. We've been dreaming of this goddamn award since we did our first episode, and no matter how much we lobby, no matter how nice we are to the judges, they just don't give us the time of day, and honestly, they can kiss both of our asses, James, and I'm just imagining... You and me going to the office of the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Awards and pulling down our our pants and just pu- pushing our butts against the uh, the the glass in front of the office. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're gonna actually do that, but yeah, I agree. It's absolutely insane. And you know what actually really pisses me off when you look at some of the canadian podcasts that did get nominated for the canadian golden podcasting globe award this year like when you see some of the podcasts that actually did get nominated yeah it's insane it's insulting i mean let's just take a look at just some we just have a brief list of some of the shows that got nominated uh oh moose jaw mamas nominated for two awards this show was literally about Two middle-aged Saskatchewan uh, self-professed wine moms uh, gossiping about Saskatchewan, you know, uh, I don't even know, Saskatchewan fashion, uh, TV, yawn. Yawn, agreed. Nagging Nana was nominated for a podcast. Now look, we're fans of Nagging Nana here at the Podmas. We ran even ran an ad for it a couple weeks ago. We ran a damn ad. Nagging Nana. It's a great podcast idea about a guy and he's got a nagging Nana. Yeah. But damn it, you know, we're they're you know, they're not as appealing as us. That's they all have, I'm saying. They have literally five episodes. We have 182. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what else we got here? The Hoser Files, nominated for three awards. This show describes itself as a look at life in rural Ontario with a paranormal twist. James, I don't know if you've listened to this show. I've listened to about half a dozen episodes. It is not spooky or creepy or scary in the slightest. Agree. Agree. Um, what else was nominated here? Oh, Outrageous. The Surprisingly Sexy History of the Reform Party was nominated. I mean, look, anyone who remembers the Reform Party, sure, there was sex appeal. You had Preston Manning. You had Stockwell Day. You had the Meech Lake Accord. Yeah, that's sexy. But that's cheating. That's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Fish in a barrel, guys. Yeah. Oh, this one. Oh, this this one's a real beauty. Uh, This podcast was nominated for five awards. The Mental Health Kitchen Party Hour. Now, this is a podcast from the Maritimes that uses the familiar format of a kitchen party. So you've got the fiddles and the guitars and the stories and songs, but all of the performers check in with each other between numbers 
to see how they're doing mentally. If they're, you know, if they're talking to anyone, if they're taking their meds, how they're feeling. And I think, again, this is just cheating. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Here's another one that was nominated. Um, It's called Oil Bitches. And it's uh, about two Alberta drag queens who discuss the ins and outs of Canada's oil industry. I did some research into Oil Bitches. And, um, oh, to my surprise, I found that this show is fully funded by Big Oil. So it's Uh. nothing. It's basically a commercial for the, you know, for Fort McMurray. Reminds me of uh, Rex Murphy. Yeah. So that's just a brief and uh, Im- frankly embarrassing list of some of the shows that uh, that did make the cut as nominees for the Canadian Golden Podcasting Globes. And once again, we didn't. Crazy. Ridiculous, but hey, you know, welcome to our lives of being totally underappreciated. Yeah. Even though, you know, we love our fans and we love our listeners. Um, you know, so who cares about the... The, the the sainted Canadian Golden Podcasting Globe Awards, in yeah. my opinion. Yep. They're, the industry, I'll say one thing, they'll miss us when we're dead, James. And uh, it might be a lot sooner than they think. What do you mean? We'll talk after we record. Oh. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's what got me all riled up this week. Uh, but uh, enough about me. How was your week, James? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been um, setting up my own dojo. I've been watching a lot of Cobra Kai and I just seem like a good thing to do to make money and teach people the power of martial arts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been working on setting up my own dojo. Run into a couple of roadblocks, though. Um, it was easy to rent the space. It was easy to to get a lot of martial arts equipment. But I was having trouble getting a decent supply of guns um, right. for my martial arts studio, which is kind of kind of thrown a, a, a kink in things. Right. Yeah, you did seem to be really focused on incorporating firearms into your style of, of uh, martial arts, which... It's, it's quite unique and uh, quite uh, controversial. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's pretty common uh, for martial arts to be a very gun forward. Um, but anyway, um, I, I was just having trouble getting guns across the border. Uh, thanks, Justin. So I've decided to take a different angle with my dojo mar- martial arts school. And um, I've actually made an ad for it if, oh. um, if, if we could play it. Um, sure, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, here we go. Karate, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, Taekwondo. Each is a beautiful, unique form of martial arts. Yet each has one thing in common. They don't teach you how to attack someone in the ding-dong, dinky, or penis. The question is, why? 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 Hi, I'm James Hartnett. At my new dojo, I only teach you how to attack someone in the penis. Whether using your fists, throwing stars, sticks, a sword, or through psychological warfare, we are the only dojo that teaches pecker-based martial arts. Have doubts about my methods? Consider that I can teach you how to neutralize an armed assailant through attacks on his head, shaft, or even foreskin. And by the way, if you're looking to learn how to attack the balls, look elsewhere. This is 100% penis focus. I'll teach you how to kick a dick, punch a dick, burn a dick. Hey, the only darn thing I won't teach you how to do is a dick. So come on down to James Hartnett's Ding Dong Dojo and tell them James sent you. Hmm, wait a second. I am James. 
For more information, contact www.dingdongdojo.ca. Yeah, so there you go. Um, wow. It's it. I'm expecting it to be big. I'm really excited to get some students and, and to start teaching. I just I love teaching. I love imparting knowledge. I love seeing people, you know, learning. And um, I, I'm excited. I really am. Couldn't. Um, first of all, great sounding ad. Really love it. Uh, your voice sounds good and strong, but couldn't help but notice that you seem to be uh, fixated on injuring people in the penis. Uh, yes, because it's martial arts and you want to but win a fight, so... I thought that there was, like, a sort of uh, unwritten rule of, like, you know, no low blows, you kind of, uh, and uh, you don't you don't attack a person in that, in their most tender parts. Uh, no. No, it's actually, it's actually encouraged, and in fact, I found some texts in uh, Aramaic that actually have led me to believe that this has been going on for a long time. And martial arts since the dawn of time have actually, you know, there's been a lot of schools that have actually really encouraged really focusing on the penis. Interesting. Again, and maybe you're more of an expert on martial arts than me, but I don't remember in the Karate Kid, you know, Mr. Miyagi taking Daniel aside and, you know, teaching him uh, how to kick someone in the in the foreskin or uh, well you haven't seen the deleted scenes because there was a scene in karate kid where ralph macchio um did uh focus on uh, uh, fighting against johnny lawrence's uh, penis and it was actually featured very uh, very prominently and with a lot of close-ups so you know doesn't doesn't seem like a classy way to fight Oh, well, what a, you know, okay, sorry, who are you? Will Ferrell and Anchorman? Stay classy, San Diego. Give me a break, Mike. No, I'm not Will Ferrell. And I'm not arts. Will Ferrell and you know Anchorman. The day you put on a on a on a karate uniform and You don't put even on know the belt, name of it, I, do you? Yes, I do know the name of it. What's the name of it? And Oh, I'm not going to answer this it's fucking a fourth geek. degree. You didn't know it. Listen. You didn't know it. The day you actually fight in a on a in a martial arts studio and actually face up against another person and fight and actually kick, you know, attack someone's penis, then talk. Until you do that, not sure I'm right. interested in your opinions on my dojo. Thanks. Right. Well, that might be a long time because I have no intention of of doing that anytime soon. Thank you. Next. As Ariana well, great, Grande because then said, when we're walking down the street and some someone tries to mug us, I'm going to beat him up and he's going to slit your damn throat. Well, I'd rather do that than fight like you. You'd rather be dead. Yeah. Okay. Oh, anyway, good luck with the new direction of your studio. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we should mention to our beautiful listeners that we do have a Patreon account. Yes. If you go to patreon.com slash landlord tenant, you will have the once in a lifetime opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to donate some of your money to help support our show. And you better better believe that we appreciate it. We sure do. And if you do donate, you get an extra episode a month where we peel back the curtain and really let it all hang loose. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't or don't want to do our patreon that's totally fine we understand if you yeah. could rate us and review us though 
That'd be great. Like That'd really great. great. We'd love it. We'd really love it. Oh, we'd freaking love it, eh? We'd love it. Um, before we uh, take a break and get to our guest for the week, James, mm. I understand that we have some special audio to play. We do. We do. Um, if you're a listener to the pod, uh, you'll know that um, at the end of last year, we had a special correspondent, Bryn Potty, who was covering the big election. Of course, we're talking about the mayoral election in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. Lunenburg. And he filed a number of reports for us about that particular election and all the goings on in Lunenburg. And um, while his story did wrap up, he did have an update for us uh, to do with some issues regarding the town crier. And so, um, hey, we're probably the only damn news outlet in the country actually covering this, the, the Lunenburg, Nova Scotia news. Yeah. CBC's not doing it. Nope. CTV's not doing it. Nope. God knows City TV and uh, Omni aren't freaking doing it. So, <laughs> hey, we're going to be the ones to be the, the number one news force uh, source for Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. So be it. So um, we have another report from Bryn about some important events taking place in Lunenburg. Hey, James and Michael, it's Bryn Potty here. Uh, I've got a little update since the Lunenburg election. Uh, after his unsuccessful bid for mayor, John McGee has decided to hang up the tri-corner hat and bell and retire as town crier. Now, the town uh, advertised the job, and I did apply because I am qualified. You know, I do have some experience performing in front of crowds and on video because during COVID, a lot of the town crying has been done on video, apparently. And as a child, I was part of the Lunenburg Church Handbell Choir, so that covers the bell ringing aspect. And my first job as an 11-year-old was dressing up as an old-timey paper boy and selling novelty newspapers to tourists. So I have done some uh, costumed Lunenburg stuff. In the 90s, there were two rival businesses in town that sold old-timey newspapers to tourists. Uh, and had in exclusively children as their employees. Uh, anyway, I was not the successful applicant. Uh, I am not the town crier. And, uh, you know, while I'm a little disappointed that I won't be getting the props and the costume and the free membership to the Nova Scotia Guild of Town Criers, which is a real thing, apparently, and it holds annual competitions, um, I want to congratulate Stephen Finley, the new town crier of Lunenburg. Um, you know, he was the right man for the job as much as I want to say that, uh, the mayor has it out for me for all the mean things that I've said about him on this podcast. Uh, I can't deny that Stephen Finley's, uh, credentials are there. The town did publish his application and mine, uh, on the town council minutes. So I have looked into him. Uh, he's a retired dancer who's been in plays for 30 years across the country, including some Ross Petty productions. And his TV and film credits include Queer as Folk and Mulrooney the Opera. I've watched some of his YouTube channel, The Dancing Baker, and I've got to admit, he's a much more charismatic guy than I am. I can't deny it. Um, according to his blog, uh, he and his partner Gary have, quote, been through a lot, end quote. So I think he deserves it. My mom doesn't know him, but she does know Gary, and she says that he's a good guy. So uh, congrats to Stephen. 
based on the little bit of his YouTube channel that I watched, I would say he's got a chance at going to the uh, town crier competition next year and possibly even dethroning co-champions James Stewart of New Glasgow and Lloyd Smith of West Hants. They're co-champions because one of them won best dressed and came in second for best cry and the other one was best cry and came in second for best dress. So clearly somebody needs to shake up that establishment and I hope it's Stephen Finley. And thank you, Bryn, for that beautiful report. James, I'm speechless. That that was riveting. Well, we're getting groundbreaking journalism um, that, you you know, the kind of stuff people are paying for on The Guardian or New York Times. Wall Street and Journal. And for free. Yeah. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. Thank you very much to Bryn and excellent work as always. This sounds like a uh, huge step forward for, like a progressive step forward for town criers around not only... Nova Scotia, but around the damn world. Without question, without question. And, you know, town crier issues are some of the most pressing hot button issues in society today. You know, when you go on Twitter, you're seeing a lot of discussion about town crier uh, stuff. And uh, we're really glad to be the focal, you know, be a focal point for that, for that here. Um, So why don't we take a break and come right back with our guests? to the show everybody hope you've got a nice big bowl of snacks by your side to keep you energized throughout this portion of the show our guest this week is an actor writer and improviser he's also somewhat of a of a traveler he's been to china he's also making his return to the show look everyone it's brandon hackett hey brandon hello i've been to china (laughs) oh enough said congratulations brandon If if I could just take a peek behind the curtain here before we get to Brandon, it's interesting because Mike did the intro to the interview and he said, hey, everybody, hope you have some snacks by your side. And then he kind of went, you know what, I'm going to do that again. And I thought, oh, well, he's not going to do the snacks line again. That's probably why he's restarting. And no, Mike said the snacks line again. I did. That is a little peek behind the curtain. It's because I, I corpsed, I guess, is the showbiz term. And uh, at being a perfectionist, I felt it was my duty to do a retake for the audience. Very that good. That is a, very noble of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, Brandon. Um, it's uh, it's great me. to hear your voice. I'm oh, You're one of those guys that you go, I guarantee you 99% of people after they meet you go, what a voice on that guy. That's very nice. Thank you very much. Um, and occasionally I've had some nice feedback about my voice. <laughs> Have, did you ever, like, in some part of your brain go like, I guess as a fallback position, I could be like sort of a, you know, sultry radio DJ? <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever uh, thought of that as like a fallback, but uh, I guess now, now I will. <laughs> I'd like um, you to be like a... A very like soothing voiced shock jock. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Bread and crude uh, two hours or whatever. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get some uh, strippers in here, <laughs> <laughs> or like a like a like a crank anchors prank call sort of show. Yeah. But I mean, just every character just sounds very like calm and dignified, and uh, <laughs> I would love it. It'd be There's a so new many. Take. Yeah. 
<laughs> so many uh, rude dimensions I could take this uh, <laughs> take my voice. Now, before we started recording, I had brought up uh, because James and I can see each other on our computers, but you do not have the, your video uh, function turned on. And I made the joke that it was like it reminded me <laughs> of the classic 1980s sitcom Out of This World, where mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds appeared merely as a disembodied voice in a sort of crystal cube. And he, it was a very low-budget sitcom that I believe he appeared in because he was broke at the time, but he was ashamed of the, the poor quality of the show, and so he refused to, be, to appear on camera. So they, they worked the story so that he played the alien father of the teenage girl who was the main character, and she would talk to her father, and he would just his voice would come through a crystal at the end of every episode. <laughs> So I have a couple thoughts about that, which is uh, that, number one, obviously he would have been heavily featured in the promotion for the show. So there's no, why would he hide physically? You've Everyone knows think, yeah. what Reynolds sounds like. Uh, <laughs> and I can't imagine how comforting that would have felt to a lot of kids who with like... Um, with like divorced parents, like the idea that like my father will talk to me on the phone, but that is as much as he will have to do with me. <laughs> that I wonder if I, that could be a good move. If you know, you want it, you have to take a job, but you don't want to appear in the bad show. So you just go, mm-hmm. you know what? Just make me a voice in a crystal. Can we do that? <laughs> like, so, and and the, the story, I, cause I read the, um, I did some uh, reading on the Wikipedia page. They explained it on the show by saying that, the uh, the alien father had been recalled to fight in a war. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> For his planet's, uh, you know. Do they? Um, do they ever? Okay. Do they delve into the backstory of this at all, or the the wider world? Like, is do they build out the universe a little bit? I don't remember. <laughs> I remember it being like a show that was on on like Sundays at like three p.m. <laughs> on like the garbage station, but. I guess it was on, the, in Toronto, it was on CFMT. Definitely, yeah, like three yeah. p.m. and or like really odd times, like maybe one p.m. during the week. Right. And the I mother will... had had a, I guess, like a a young like, like an affair with an with a sexy alien, <laughs> and had a half <laughs> human, half alien daughter with this guy. It's so, uh, I, so it's such an innocent age of television because I feel like if that were a premise today for a television show, uh, it would delve into, it would use that as a launching point to talk about everything that the culture talks about now, which is like, uh, being, you know, a child of two different cultures, you know, uh, <laughs> how do your alignment with your parent who was off fighting a war, are they on their on what side of the war are they on? Uh, you know, um, fetishization of like an alien or like you know yeah, <laughs> but in the 80s as far as it went was like let's we need a show about diversity what if a white woman married burt reynolds <laughs> <laughs> oh absolutely well i'm gonna go find uh every dvd uh, that's available uh, of this show you know what though i was just thinking about this woman having an affair with an alien and then i thought would i have sex with an alien and my first thought was okay well yeah maybe but then i thought (laughs) wait though technically would having sex with an alien be like having sex with like an an animal (laughs) well you know what i mean because there are different it's not just like different humans it's like a different being 
So maybe it would actually be kind of bad to have sex with an alien. Well, I mean, I guess with like, it depends on the, I have given this some thought before. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it depends on the uh, level of, unlike whether the alien is sort of like sentient or, or uh, able to yeah, if the, provide <laughs> like enthusiastic consent. The alien's in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if it's like, uh, you know, like, because in like, you know, Star Trek, you have people who are like half Klingon, half Vulcan, right. blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I guess the, obviously the, uh, the, unspoken thing in star trek is that basically most sentient alien races have compatible uh sexual reproductive organs i suppose Mm -hmm. but um but like yeah i guess there are like different animals on like different um planets and stuff like that and uh like there's always like in a lot of sci-fi there's always like different tiers of like ontological beings so like there are always aliens that are like like humans like they understand the world like humans and then there are aliens that are just animals that are trying to eat you and stuff like that and i figure as long as you're trying to get with the top tier (laughs) (laughs) you know you know what that's a good point yeah like if it's the smartest alien on that planet it's okay to date the alien but if if it's like the second or fifth or god forbid a hundredth smartest animal on that planet yeah mm, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> That's actually a good rule. I like that. Yeah. So just remember that next uh, next or the first time you... <laughs> yeah. Mike, would you have, you have sex with an alien? Um, I guess it depends on um, on the looks of, of the darn thing. <laughs> no. Um, no, it would, be, it would be... It would depend on, you know, circumstances as, as far as I will go and answer. And if you're question. attached at the time or if you're Absol- open, Absolutely. Or, you know. Yes. Is, that's another question. Is it cheating if it's an intergalactic species? Um, <laughs> yeah. That, like you, you, know? think you, could, you think you could get just sort of like a free pass if like you're like, <laughs> it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. <laughs> it was for knowledge. Come on, it was a goo creature. What are you gonna do? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Speaking so that, of those old uh, weird shows, do you guys remember Boogie's Diner? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't. I can't put it. I'm gonna look it up right now. It it was in the same like uh, sort of level of quality as Out of This World. I think it might have been Canadian. Um, Wait, and it was it was so it was a low quality Canadian '80s sitcom. I believe it might. Oh God, now I got to look it up too. Uh, James but, Marsden. Yeah, that guy. Hmm. Right. Oh, so it must have been American. No, it was Canadian. Oh, filmed in Hamilton. And Jim J. Bullock, who, if you Google, I bet oh. you'll recognize Jim J. Oh, Bullock. Absolutely, he was. He was always on Hollywood Squares. I believe he was on Soap. But but what about Boogie's Diner, James? Well, truthfully, I didn't have a lot there. I was hoping you guys had seen it and would roll with me on it. But uh, had, uh, it was basically what? like Saved by the Bell, but it was Canadian, and it was filmed in Hamilton. So, yeah. you know, instead of your Zach Morris uh, kind of California blonde guy, it was more like a Hamiltonian Zach Morris. So, yeah. You know, yeah. probably a Ticats fan. Now, we're talking about uh, the great television shows of yesteryear, and I can't help but bring up something that recently made headlines uh, on the internet here in Toronto. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The the famous uh, website BlogTO recently had an article 
Looking back to a huge moment for Toronto and Canada in the 90s, um, the article was about how in 1996, Rowan Atkinson himself came to the Eaton Center, which is like the, the big, huge downtown shopping center, and it was an event where he was going to be signing VHS videotapes for the newly released uh, Mr. Bean series on, on videotape. You know, Mr. Bean couldn't get much bigger in the 90s than Mr. Bean. And people started lining up at 8 a.m. at the shopping center. And he was going to be signing videos for one hour. And by like 9 a.m., there were thousands of people crowding the Eaton Center and the streets outside. The police had to come. People were being pushed and crushed. And Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, was whisked away after signing tapes for only 20 minutes. And there was a fear that a riot was going to break out. But luckily, the Mr. Bean fans were peaceful and they sort of went home, and there was no violence that day. But do either of you remember hearing about this at the time? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I am more than happy to engage with this. <laughs> I, I remember definitely do. hearing about it. Because I remember there was a few, like, like didn't the Red Hot Chili Peppers play, like, Young Street, and it got, oh, you know, overwhelmed know or something like that? I and I sort of remember long. this, you know, alongside that as, like... You know, in the 90s, there were two big events downtown that got out of control. The Chili Peppers on Young Street <laughs> and Mr. Bean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any, anything could have happened in the 90s. But I, I do remember, like, I guess I was in Oshawa, Ontario at the time uh, in high school when this story happened. I just remember it was all anyone was talking about. The, <laughs> <laughs> the day that uh, Mr. Bean fans almost, you know, went wild and, you know, we're lucky no one was, was injured. Can you imagine if someone had been trampled to death while, <laughs> yeah. while waiting to get their VHS tape signed by Mr. Uh, Atkinson? Yeah. Do you think um, people do did Mr. Bean cosplay? Isn't that, is that what it's called? Cosplay or cosplay? <laughs> Cosplay. <laughs> Cosplay, yeah. Like, you could imagine, like, guys dressed up as Mr. Bean doing the, you know what I mean? I'm sure there were grown men dressed as him <laughs> in that lineup getting, like, pushed and like, leave it, stop, you're crushing me! <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I, I mean, I still have a lot of fondness, a lot of nostalgia for Mr. Bean. I, I, I guess I can kind of, uh, I can sort of, like, acknowledge, maybe uh, like, there's an element of it that's, like, a little bit corny. Like, I can sort of, I, yeah. I can understand that, but I mean, whatever. It's just, you know, it's like a warm, fuzzy little memory from the nineties. It's only 15 episodes. Like really <laughs> that shocked me. Yeah. I thought there was like, like, like a lot of British shows. You think there was like, Oh, they made a few hundred. There's yeah. just like a handful of Mr. Beans out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like Canadian shows also have fewer episodes, but aren't beloved <laughs> we got the we got the few episodes thing down just not the that they're really good <laughs> yeah it kind of makes sense that there's so little yeah it's like yeah i get why uh you know uh rookie blue i don't know <laughs> well, you know what's funny the like mr bean he does have a sort of lovable you know uh reputation people love him but rowan atkinson sort of pursued mr bean in a very cold-blooded way, because he he created a character and like a brand that could go global. Because he was like, "There's mm. no 
there's no language in Mr. Bean, so it's like it's sold everywhere. Everyone from like a child to a very elderly person can enjoy the the very simple humor, and it doesn't rely on language. So he he became like so rich by just being like, we're not going to use words. I'm going to be the biggest star in the world. And uh, look at him today, collecting all of his um, uh, vintage cars. Do you think guy. he actually said, I'm going to be the biggest star in the world? <laughs> When he came up with Mr. I'm going Bean. to be the biggest star. I hear he said that like in a mirror. Uh, <laughs> Rowan, you're going to be the biggest star in the world with your mime <laughs> show. <laughs> and his wife was like, he was only talking to his wife through the mirror. Like he was in the background. Yeah. Um, Just yeah, cocaine I mean, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I also hear that at the end of every Mr. Bean episode, he turns to the camera and says in whatever country's dialect, uh, uh, you know, this is the one true um, nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he records 180 versions or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, Mr. Bean, uh, you know, is fully behind Uzbekistan. <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, uh, my cousins from Sarnia came to visit. That and- sounds like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just if you just hold on for one second, Mr. Bean figures into to my fascinating story. Um, they had been doing an exchange program, and so there was a a like six foot nine Mexican student who had been living with my family in Sarnia. This guy named Hector who they brought to Sarnia to visit. And for some reason, everyone, like my cousins and my uncles and aunts and my parents and brothers, everyone went out together. And it was just me and Hector, (laughs) (laughs) this this very tall, big Mexican high school student. I was younger than him, alone in the house. And we just watched Mr. Bean. And I remember being like, hey, I'm bonding with Hector because there's (laughs) there's no language barrier with Mr. Bean. Isn't yeah. that a great memory of mine? Did you also hand him like a Coke? Yes. <laughs> a Coke, Hector? <laughs> that, um, I mean, I, I don't have like, uh, obviously Christmas has been a thing uh, for a very long time in my family. I don't know why I introduced it that way, but my one of my like brightest, most uh, vivid Christmas memories was someone had gifted my aunt uh, like the Mr. Bean VHS box set. Ooh. And she she picked up the wrapped package, tore it open a tiny bit, saw a sliver of it, looked at everyone in the room. Everyone grinned. She tore the rest of it off in one fell swoop. The tapes flew everywhere, and she screamed. Uh, and it was just a pandemonium for like a hot five minutes. Like Mr. Bean was an actual... Yeah, young people today don't know, you know, that this was the effect Bean had. Yeah. Were the tapes okay? Uh, Yeah, the tapes were fine. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Um, What did you, this is a stupid question, but what did you think Mr. Bean was? (laughs) Like as a a being? You know, Chris Locke did a really funny tweet today saying that what if we, what if after we all get the vaccine, we all turn into Mr. Bean's? Or something like that. Yeah. What What do you think, Mike? What was Mr. Bean? I mean, I thought he was the the coolest damn guy around. <laughs> no, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess if you looked at him soberly, you'd think this this is a man in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He should have like yeah. a assistant. 
a nurse <laughs> or something with him at all hours. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, you couldn't do Mr. Bean now because you'd have to like address that. He's on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. I I always assumed uh, because the opening of the on the opening he falls from the sky into a spotlight. So for a long time as a kid I thought he was an alien. I thought that that's what Mr. <laughs> Oh Bean my god. Was. That's an interesting um, theory. Actually, you know what, been... Brandon? That's actually a really smart theory because he does approach the world like he's seeing stuff for the first time, like scissors or something. Like, oh, fuck, maybe yeah. he is an alien. Also, now that I think about it, there is that one episode where he's captured by the U.S. military and they <laughs> do all sorts of tests on him. <laughs> Yeah, well, are. okay, Brandon, just because of what you said there, I I'm I googled is Mr. Bean an alien? And I what's popped up is Atkinson has acknowledged that Mr. Bean has an alien aspect to him. <laughs> yes, it's quite possible that Mr. Bean could be an alien. He's like an Oxford guy. He's like he's like ruminating on <laughs> Holy shit. And there's on Reddit fan theories, there is a fan theory Mr. Bean as an alien. Oh. Shit, Brandon, this is like, you you totally stumbled onto something here. Could he yeah, well, also have yeah. been an angel who was kicked out of heaven for displeasing God or something? <laughs> he got, God is like, you are too annoying. <laughs> Go to earth, cause some mayhem. I need a day off. <clears throat> can I guys, uh, can I quickly summarize to you this uh, Reddit post here? Uh, uh, yeah. The- Reddit subreddit fan theories where a guy has suggested that Mr. Bean is an alien. Um, So this guy wrote, oops. So this guy wrote, uh, now before you call bullshit, just hear me out. I've watched a lot of Mr. Bean and I love the show, but something jumps out at me. I can't shake. May I interrupt? It sounds like this guy is a true blue, straight as an arrow, Mr. Bean fan. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Uh, he, He goes, have you ever noticed these things? One, uh, the bright light thing you raised. Uh, he Bigger and bigger until Mr. Bean falls, which in my opinion is a comical take on an alien being beamed down from a spaceship. Two, that he lives by himself or with Teddy and is constantly getting into mischief, possibly because he doesn't know how to react in situations. Okay. Three, he wears the same clothes all the time because he has no sense of how humans dress and assumes they wear things like this. And his number four reasoning for why Mr. Bean is an alien he is just plain weird. <laughs> so, and then he goes at the end. Please, now, please don't bash this theory. I'm just speaking my mind. If you have any complaints and whatnot, please say them in the comment section. Please be nice. <laughs> wow. This guy was really insecure about his conspiracy okay. theory. I think I'm going to update my theory now. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, ha- have either of you read uh, James Joyce? <laughs> I read the, Yes. I read <laughs> Dubliners and Portrait, but not, none of the very big hard ones. So in, in Ulysses, uh, this, this sort of like theme is metempsychosis, which is sort of the idea of like, uh, you know, a heroic rebirth or whatever over the generations and reliving the story. So uh, taking into account the fact that uh, Rowan uh, Atkinson has played Black Adder several times over the generations mm-hmm. uh, in different iterations. Uh, my theory is that Mr. Bean was just the, uh, you know, 20th or whatever generation of a black adder, but because he keeps regenerating, he's regenerating as weirder and weirder. So it's sort of like when you make a facsimile of a facsimile of a facsimile, it like pales in comparison. So Mr. Bean is just, uh, is black adder 
but he is off. <laughs> that is amazing. That's so good. It's like in the movie Multiplicity when Michael yeah. Keaton made too many clones of himself and then the last one's like, uh, how's it going, Michael? Or whatever. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, I should have just used multiplicity as the example. <laughs> Instead of half remembering. Uh, <laughs> wow, so Mr. Bean is just like the 800th version of Blackadder. Yeah. Wow. Can I confess something, guys? Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. I've never seen a damn second of Blackadder. Oh. I feel like you neither. You have neither of you, Brandon? No, not really. Not a full episode. Here's the thing. You know some stuff in retrospect when you were a kid? You may be wildly wrong in your recollection of it being really funny. Mm-hmm. But I loved that show when I was a kid. And I apologize if I'm wildly wrong. But I feel <laughs> like you'd both think it's really funny. But again, this is my 10-year-old brain remembering uh, it being funny. I think you're right. I think I'd probably appreciate it a lot now. It was, I know the last episode's really sad. Yes. Yeah. It's very, wor- it's like kind of um, juvenile, uh, wordy humor. like. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's stuff like they were in World War One in the trenches and um uh you know, I don't know. Um they the coffee was really bad and then uh Blackhead would be like, This coffee is terrible and then this this his this gross guy who worked who was in the trenches, Baldrick, would be like, That's cause it's not coffee And then Blackadder's like, Well what is it? And it's like, It's mud And then Blackadder's like, Well what was the sugar? And then Baldrick's like, Dandruff Stuff like that. It's like I'm, gross. I'm sold, and I'm going to be watching. <laughs> I probably just—that was probably the worst example of the of uh, a joke in the show. But I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like you'd both enjoy it. It's worth checking out. I really have a lot of warmth for that old kind of like '80s '90s British comedy. Oh, me too. Kind of thing. It's very comforting. What uh, what uh, ones did you like? I love a bit of Fry and Laurie. Oh yeah, um, I remember that. That was a really good one. Uh, occasionally, I'd catch episodes of like Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did you ever watch Keeping Up Appearances? All the damn time. Keeping <laughs> uh, <laughs> Up Appearances and uh, Are You Being Served? Um, oh, yeah. That's a classic. Grandma, grandma loved um, uh, Keeping Up Appearances. Mm-hmm. Hyacinth Bouquet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that was a really hilarious show. And I feel like that's a show that, like, a lot of people, I don't know what it is, but a lot of, like, North American kids, like, not even just Canadian kids, but, like, North American kids really watched that show a lot. I don't know yeah. is where it, outside of YTV they were showing it. Brandon, is it okay mm-hmm. if we if we transition from talking about uh, beloved television shows of yesteryear to something from your own personal life that um, mm-hmm. I noticed on Twitter? Please. Um, okay, so <laughs> earlier in the month, I saw that you had tweeted something. You tweeted this. The most demoralizing thing I've ever had to do for a job was open a door for Conrad Black. And uh, both James and I were intrigued by this tweet. Are you comfortable with taking us back to, to this uh, event? <laughs> Painting a sure. picture for us. <laughs> it's really not much of anything. I used to um, <laughs> I used to be an usher. Um I used to be an usher at the uh, opera at the Four Seasons Center. Okay. Um, which is maybe one of the more, if anyone knows, I, I don't know. I feel like I have a comedy persona that where that just <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a like a stereotype of what I would say. But it was like, whatever. Um, and also, may yeah, I, I say to- that you encountering Conrad Black at the opera 
is <laughs> like that's the ultimate like there of course he is at, at the opera uh, yes lord well, lord black oh for sure for sure for sure um i so it was i think it was a special event actually i don't even know if there was an actual um if there was an opera that was playing that night I, I, it might have been for some sort of like swanky um, fundraiser I actually really did like the job at the time. Um, it was a really good place with a lot of like great people. Like everyone, all the ushers and bartenders and stuff were all like arts people. So it just made like a lot of friends and it was really nice. But um, one of the jobs, you'd cycle through different jobs over the course of a day uh, of a shift. And one of them was always opening doors. And that was fine because I just let my brain go empty or whatever. But I was on door duty when he and his wife came there's probably on two occasions that I've had to do that. Uh, and just sort of seeing him walk up, I was just like, Oh, <laughs> oh great. Open, <laughs> open a door for this true crimesman. Um, and this would have been after he had served his time in prison. <laughs> yes. I think. Did he have any tattoos? <laughs> uh, none that he, none that I could see with his like full expensive suit on. Right. But, um, right. uh, I think I think actually when was he released from prison? Because it, I f- feel like I had to do it shortly after he had been released. I'm gonna Google this right now. When was Conrad? And, and for any listeners who don't uh, who aren't aware, Conrad Black is a sort of like almost like a cartoon villain <laughs> kind of guy. He ran yeah. a media empire here in Canada and I believe in the UK uh, until he was charged and went to prison for some sort of uh, fraud. That his media company uh, that he he perpetrated, and then he I guess went to prison in Florida. Then he was released, and uh, now he's back in Canada, but he's not a Canadian citizen anymore. He, yeah, he he relinquished really? his citizenship. I know uh, to become a British citizen. A while ago. <laughs> That's then, a real lame move. I feel like for a Canadian to do like yeah, like to be sort of like to, to try to ascend up. In, in, as though you know what I mean like I, I'm actually I'm jumping up to England you know what I mean through this sort of loose lame connection I think he relinquished his citizenship to become a lord because he's like Lord Black oh, of right. Cross Harbor and you can't be a lord unless you're like a British anyway what a he lives in Toronto though according to his Wikipedia hey uh, n- well, newsflash Conrad Toronto's not the UK <laughs> I think he had his, his citizenship revoked, his British citizenship revoked. Oh, I think that was good. part of it. So, is he a man without a nation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like a Ronin. Uh, <laughs> he um, and now he's just sort of this. Um, he has a, I guess, a bit of a friendship or admiration for Donald Trump, and uh, yeah. you know, we'll write all these sort of excoriating. These, these, we'll write these sort of uh, op-eds or whatever that sort of excoriate. Um, kind of more liberal or leftist takes on things and really kind of advocates for um, hardcore kind of like cruel conservatism a little mm. bit. He's a, he's a, he's a fella. Yeah. It looks like he was in jail for fraud embezzlement mm-hmm. stuff. Huh? And apparently he'd like taught his, his fellow like inmates, like he taught them philosophy and like literature and stuff while he was in jail. <laughs> Probably Ayn Rand. <laughs> but um but yeah so i'm uh, sorry to, to go back to to the big story he i guess was already out of, of prison brandon when when you saw him coming towards you at the, at the opera yeah and then yeah. what happened uh i mean literally i opened the door and he walked through <laughs> did, he, did you get a smell it? or anything 
no, I mean, I, I wish there was. I wish it was like more of an interesting story. I mean, mm. you know, I. It, it's kind of it's interesting because in that built because it's such a like swanky building that oh, held a lot of events. Like there've been a lot of people that I've like. This sounds so pathetic, but like a lot of people that I've like run into or seen or you know met who are like famous or whatever, uh, because you know they're just going to whatever. Like Adam Sandler used to come a couple times and was pretty blasé about it. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne and his family, yeah, and like wow. because they also show like um, I mean whatever they can see the opera, but I think it was like um, they're like kids ballets and stuff like that, like the Nutcracker they'd have, so a lot of people would come to that and uh, right. Was Adam Sandler wearing his classic giant <laughs> jeans and a giant T-shirt? I don't remember. I One certainly for the opera, was. please. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Mike. Um, there was once actually a, a cool um, Bollywood event. They're celebrating like a hundred years of Bollywood, uh, and that was really awesome. It was really like lavish. Uh, and uh, I remember Paul, uh, who's the guy who directed um, the Bad Crash? Oh, Paul Haggis. Haggis, yeah. Uh, I remember he was there kind of like hanging out in the lobby a little bit. And uh, because that was before I had really met any famous people or had realized that access to anyone who's been on television or something is not truly special. Um, at the time, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> he directed a movie that I did not care for. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Conrad Black was definitely like, it just felt a little bit. It felt a little bit like, well, okay, so <laughs> the black person has to open the door for Conrad Black. Like, the optics of this uh, are not great. I hope you uh, at least rolled your eyes when he walked past. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, put my head inside the building and was like, up yours, old man. We won't get fooled again. So, um... On Twitter to today, when we recorded this, there was um, a popular tweet where someone asked, what is a moment in a video game that will stay with you the rest of your life? And there were all these responses, people posting screenshots of these video games. And um, we were talking about what what are some moments that will stay with us or, um, or weirder moments that will stay with us. Mike, you had a great video game moment, I think, that that you really feel will stay with you forever. Oh, well, thank you, James. Um, so yeah, people were posting screenshots of, uh, you know, beating video games or weird error messages. Um, but to me, the, the moment that came to my mind, uh, from a video game was in Mike Tyson's punch out for the Nintendo entertainment system, uh, between matches, there would be this like 30 second animation of your character, little Mac, uh, training for his next fight. And you'd be jogging in New York city with your trainer, Riding beside you on a bicycle. <laughs> Truly an iconic video game moment. That Anyone who's a gamer thinks about that moment all the time. Yeah, yes. it's like, you know, something from Halo, something from uh, World of Warcraft, and then that famous scene with Little Mac and the guy. Yes. <laughs> exercising. How about, um, Brandon, are you, are, are you a gamer? Would you say you're a gamer? Uh, very light. Very light gamer. <laughs> <laughs> I dip my toe. Dip your toe in the gaming so. waters. Well, is there is there a moment from video game uh, history, past, present, or or even future that sticks <laughs> with you uh, and that will stick with you for the rest of your life? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we were talking just earlier about this, uh, James. I don't know if this is going to be yours, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, Persona Five uh, is a really great uh, game that I uh, really um, 
I've just played so so many times, so much before. Um, and uh, the first uh, first villain of the game is like a sexual pervert, basically, <laughs> <laughs> like a predator. Um, That's right. And it's like the game takes maybe like two three hours to like for you to finally get on the quest where you like have to defeat this person. Um, so you're just like learning about the game and learning about more about this awful sexual pervert man. And um, so basically, is it yeah, Kevin playing... Spacey? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's pretty bad. It's uh, uh, it's like yeah, he's like a gym teacher at a, at a high school, and um, which is about as much as I'll say. But yeah, it's it's basically if if in so much in as much as it's a moment, uh, there's the first two and a half hours of a game where you're just kind of like, uh, really, is is the whole game going to be this? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my that'll be my first one. That is it. That yeah. <laughs> um, do you have to fight this guy? At, like. Or is it, yeah, you have to like fight like a, you have to fight like a like a subconscious version of him, like a, a version of him that exists as like a the dr- the dream world version of him, kind of. Oh, okay. Hmm. How about you, James? Do you what, what's the biggest video game moment that sticks in your mind? <laughs> I've written down a few. Oh. Okay. Here's one I really liked. Um, if there was this game, Heavy Rain, that was kind of a mystery murder mystery game, it's really good. And I really remember in the game. You would there was a portion of the game you'd play as different characters where you'd play as this kind of attractive woman and she needs to get information from this gangster who's, you know, gross. But she's going to like she's decided I'm going to flirt with him to get information for this missing kid or whatever. So then you play as her and then you go into the like a nightclub bathroom and basically try to sexy yourself up. You like press a couple <laughs> buttons and you undo a button on your shirt. You're putting on lipstick. I mean, I, I and you know what? I, I that that absolutely sticks out as me as one of the like best moments of the game. Which oh, I'm surprised, but I loved it. You're this woman. You're going to manipulate this gangster, and you're just going to be sexy. And it made me think: if I had been born a woman, maybe this is the kind of thing I would have loved to do <laughs> because I absolutely love doing it in the game. I love. Yeah, I find video games super stressful, but I love those moments. <laughs> like yeah. I love the moments where you're like living a life or you are you're trying to accomplish a real life task, but with these controls, there's something very <laughs> like the matrixy a little bit about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, or like cooking in uh, Breath of the Wild, you know? Love doing that. Oh, love it. I love think it. it's maybe it's because uh you know, our our ape brains are still think we should be cooking and living in a hut or something you know what i mean and like so we like it feels really good doing these mundane things in a video game well and also like i i like tried to make some eggs this morning and i'm normally fine in it but they stuck to the pan were very bad and i feel like in a video (laughs) game as long as i am putting the ingredients in the pot uh i am fine (laughs) the food that i'm making will replenish my heart not just remind me of how badly i feel about myself if life truly is like a a simulation then the bad eggs you made today, Brandon, were like someone having a bad like go at a video game. <laughs> the video game's just tired failure. <laughs> I had one from uh, Persona Five Two, uh, which oh, yeah. I think you remember, Brandon, where later in the game you fight a giant penis. 
on a chariot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy, and they don't. It's not sort of set up to be like, oh, now's the part where you fight the penis, but then you're just all of a sudden this big penis pops up and you have to fight it. Yeah, there's that. There's earlier in the game the first major, the first like serious boss that you have to fight is a demon on a toilet. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. How do you or how does he fight back? Uh magic spells. <laughs> He's just on the toilet. He's just magic spells. <laughs> it would be good if they made that a little more dynamic. Like somehow, you know, you could I don't know, get in the toilet or take the toilet paper or right. I don't know. Have one of your friends hide behind the toilet. Uh, he has to get off and chase you and then you hit him with the toilet. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson style. Yeah. <laughs> I just say that because he keeps breaking toilets in his movies. And that's my theory. <laughs> he's making a toilet breaking universe. <laughs> have you heard about, uh, have you heard of Robert Yang? Uh, no. No. So he's like a, um, he's like a video game creator who makes a lot of uh, your story about, um, the, like taking off your buttons and, um, mm-hmm. Reminded me of this, but he he's like a queer um, video game maker designer, and he basically designs a lot of like uh, sort of like very queer experiential video games. Um, so there's one that he designed that's about like um, you're it's like cruising in a bathroom, and it's uh, huh. you're you're basically um, you're someone who's like cruising in a bathroom, and you guys coming in all the time, and you have to determine whether or not one of them is a cop. <laughs> sort of like flirting with each other, uh, but also how you flirt with each other is you're you looked out the urinal and you're like uh, you're basically jerking off your, your there's a gun in place of your penis basically <laughs> so you're each jerking off your gun so it's like a weird so like yeah that's the sort of mechanic of the game and you have to basically determine whether to cruise this person if that's so funny yeah I love yeah, that kind of thing like yeah. making I, that's like making those sort of like real decisions part of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really cool, and there's something kind of like not uh, didactic, but there's 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 an interesting like lived experience kind of thing um, uh, in it. Yeah. Any other video games, James? I, I I'm trying to think of um, any other memories from my. I was, I was trying to think of weird of weird memories. I remember playing Earthworm Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was pretty. I, I mean, I, I remember there was a part where you were like, they played um, uh, like Beethoven, and you're like a little tiny worm going through a guy's intestines. Oh. <laughs> um, so you were tapeworm. Okay. There was a lot of wacky stuff in Earthworm Jim. I remember. So was Earthworm Jim a standalone thing, or was it based? Like, was the video game based on a comic book, or a, or was it just I, purely a video game? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they made a comic book. I think it was just a game, and then it turned into a television show. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Well, yeah. I the Echo of the Dolphin, which I believe was the second oh, game. Oh God! Was yeah. that <laughs> was that clearly someone trying to cash in on like Free Willy? Certainly is a popular character. Let's uh, <laughs> make something about a dolphin. That's very spiritual, and uh, <laughs> kids love <laughs> dolphins. <laughs> I think that is a hundred percent free. Free Willy came out, and then they made Echo the Dolphin. Echo the yeah. Dolphin was it like a? If I remember correctly, it was kind of like here's like if you if you're an environmentalist, you're gonna love Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> this message is about conservation. 
Yeah, because at the beginning of that game, don't you, you like jump out of the water and then the entire ocean, like all the animals get sucked up into like an alien. Oh, thing. damn. I didn't know. You get sucked up into the sky and then you're alone for so much of the game. All you hear is Burt Reynolds' voice. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I got the animals. Oh, man. Yeah. That was the first game I got with... Uh, yeah, I got a Sega Genesis for Christmas 1993, and it came with two video games. One was Sonic 2, which is what I wanted, and Echo the Dolphin was just the one that was underneath, like, just <laughs> <laughs> spare game that they had. All right. Cool. So um, we've had a, a wonderful talk with you, Brandon Hackett, uh, our returning guest. Thank you for appearing for your second time. Is there anything you wanted to, uh, to plug before we, uh, before we wrap things up here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, around late February, um, you can watch out for um, the first kind of um, the first sort of presentation of certain things from Untitled Black Sketch Project, which is a, uh, a project uh, with myself and uh, Ajanis Charlie, Abba Abaquando, uh, Coco Galore, uh, uh, Fat Al, Alan Shane Lewis, and Cassie Ogbana, and Brandon Ash Muhammad. I Really hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Uh, but we're all working on like a sketch show, and uh, the first sort of stirrings of it will be in late February. So please keep a uh, watchful eye out for that. Fantastic. Those cool. are some heavy hitters you have there. And will this be, um, because of circumstances, will this be online for the time being, or will it be, uh, are you shooting stuff? Or uh, Right now it'll be online. Right. Uh, and then kind of going forward, we're hoping to, it'll, it'll be more, but right now it's online. It'd be funny if you answered Mike by being like, no, we're actually going to, we're going to break uh, the quarantine where I am an anti-masker and uh, so is everyone in the show. So we will be, uh, <laughs> we will be headlining the uh, young street, uh, <laughs> breathe fast. Excellent. Well, we will, um, put some info in the show notes about the untitled black sketch project and we'll link to your Twitter. We'll link to what else to, uh, yeah, we could link to the out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> the out of this world theme song i think could get linked to mike yeah mr bean of course and yeah. um mm-hmm. yeah but uh yeah thank you so much brandon for uh for joining us again thank you for having me it's such a fun time talking to you both thanks brandon take care mm-hmm. take care this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network 